You're listening to the Seahawks Insiders. Wentz from the shotgun, takes the snap. Here comes the rush. Wentz gets hit by Frank Clark, and Clark slams him down. Getting you ready for Seahawks football every Sunday. First and ten, the play fake. Russell looks, going to lay it up for the end zone. Doug Baldwin reaches out, makes the catch. Is he in? He is. Touchdown, Seahawks. Powered by Seahawks.com. Welcome to the Seahawks Insiders Podcast as we get you ready for the Seahawks game against the Los Angeles Rams on Sunday. I'm Jen Mueller, sideline reporter for your Seattle Seahawks, joined as always by John Boyle from Seahawks.com. Hi, Jen. How are you doing? I am, I think I'm okay. Yeah? I mean, I, I personally feel good. Oh, good. But if you're talking about me just in the context of football and kind of how things are going, I think I'm okay. Fair enough. We're, it's, that's what four and four does to you. It is kind You're of not what four sure and what four to feel that's about. That's right. It. Also, the weather's finally turned, so I am now wearing sweaters. It is officially fall, which to me is officially football weather, minus the fact that LA this weekend, seventy-seven degrees and sunny. I'll take it. I am super excited yeah. about that. Yeah, it is going to be. It's going to be nice to see the sun. It'll be nice to be in LA. I'm not so sure about this matchup against the Rams. How nice it's going to be because I think that this is going to be a bit of a grudge match and a bit of a uh, revenge factor at play. But before we get into the matchup specifically against the Rams, John, we know that. Pete Carroll likes to break the season down into quarters, and we have now finished the first half of the season with the team going 4-4. Four and four. I think there's a lot of good things. I think that there's a lot of things that folks want to see improve, and I don't know how many concerns they have, but certainly there is room for the team to turn a corner. For sure. There's a lot that the Seahawks like about the way they've played really since those first two games where they just kind of got out of whack on offense and lost two games. Problem is, you still lost those games, and then you lost a couple of close home games to really good teams, the Chargers and the Rams. And now you are four and four. So, I mean, there's a lot of a lot of good things about their play. They've got the running game going. They've kind of found the style they want. The defense, for the most part, has played really well this season. There's, you know, been some breakdowns here and there. The problem is, you haven't left yourself a huge margin for error because yes. of some of those games that got away. And they need to not only keep playing the style they want playing well, but they need to win a heck of a lot of games in the second half to be a playoff team. Yeah, and I would say this, though, with the way that the schedule lines up, you're right, you didn't leave yourself a whole lot of room for error, but you do have to play some teams that are ahead of you in the standings, so you still do have potentially the upper hand if you can come out on top with wins against your NFC opponents. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's teams that are going to be in those wild card battles, whether it's Carolina, Minnesota, you know, there's some teams that Green Bay also, if they can get going. So, yeah, I mean, the, the Seahawks, they're in a good position in terms of there's a lot of home games in there. You have a lot of control over their future. But as we said, you know, you lost some close ones and now you, you're you're four and four. You need to start stacking up those wins. It's kind of what Bobby Wagner said yesterday is, you know, you, you can't afford to win two, lose one, win one, lose one. They got to kind of start piling them up now. Yeah. Yeah. And, and turn that corner as Pete Carroll will tell you and finish strong as is their mantra and kind of what they expect to do. When you go back and you look at the first half, what I want from you is biggest surprise, biggest disappointment and nicest trend that you are seeing. So I'll let you pick which one of those that you want to start with, but that's what I want. I'm going to start with the trend because that's okay. what I think I'm easiest to uh, to speak on. Um, two things, if I can have two. The running game, 
Um, and we'll tie that to kind of the offensive lines improvement overall. But they're averaging over 160 rushing yards. I think it's 169 rushing yards in their last five games, which is a really good number. I mean, that's we're talking, you know, I think in the entire Pete Carroll, John Schneider era, they've had one season better than that. So that, if they can keep that up, is huge. And then the turnover differential. When you're winning that, you know, they're plus nine right now, and that's even after losing the turnover battle last week. So they got to plus 10 through seven games. You keep winning the turnover battle, you're going to win a lot of games. Yeah. Okay, what else do we need? Biggest surprise? Well, I was going to go biggest surprise, and I think if I was going to tie it into something that you've already said, I would say the impact of DJ Fluker. Yeah. And we've talked about him so much, but it's hard to imagine that one guy on that offensive line, because it is a unit, right? It's hard to imagine that one guy makes that much of a difference, except that it is noticeable when he is not in the game. For example, when he couldn't finish the game against the Chargers, it just didn't have the same physicality. Yeah, he's been special. I mean, just... In terms of what he brings physically, but then Pete Carroll keeps talking about, you know, his spirit and just kind of the energy he brings. So he's been a great free agent ad. I'd say for my biggest surprise, you know, I might have to point to Trey Flowers. Yeah, that's I a mean, good this one is, too. Yep. That is a the way the Seahawks want their cornerbacks to play, it's hard for any young player to come in. I mean, we saw Richard Sherman's arguably a Hall of Famer. He didn't start right away. No, he didn't. You know, it took a few injuries to get yeah, Sherm on the field. Yeah, it took two guys going down, and then he sees that spot and never looked back. And, I mean, it's just so rare that cornerbacks come in here and succeed right away. Even, you know, veteran free agent guys who are very experienced corners but haven't played in the system, they struggle. Then you throw in, oh, by the way, he didn't play cornerback before this exactly. year. He was a safety. I mean, I thought for sure this was a, you know, they love his potential, but he's barely going to play this year. He's a special teams guy. You, you know, it's one of those classic, you hope you don't need him kind of things. Right. He's been a starter since week one. And yeah, he's taken a few bumps and bruises along the way, getting beat a few times, but he's played really well overall. He's caused three turnovers. He's, you know, he's almost never getting beat over the top, which is rule number one for Pete Carroll. So. I mean, I, I think they found a real gem there. Yeah, I remember in training camp, you still had Byron Maxwell in camp, right? Yeah. And so I thought, okay, well, yeah, I can see Byron Maxwell starting the season, depending on how it goes, right? Because Maxie is a little older. Yeah, and, you or, know, you know, if an happens, injury comes sure. up. And, yeah, Dante Johnson as well. He yeah. looked like he could be in the mix there. Yeah, you would put Trey Flowers out there if you needed to, but let him kind of get his feet wet a little bit on the sidelines, on special teams, just being in the meeting rooms. He is such an impressive young man, and I know that we don't get a chance to talk to him nearly as much as I would like after games, partly because he is swarmed by other media, partly because he's just too busy doing his work after games. But I think what fans are going to find is that his style of play for as aggressive and self-assured as he is on the field, he is also the nicest young man that you will ever meet. I mean, he is so personable, so humble, so gracious in that locker room. He is, he's going to be a special one for a long time. And he's got a super cute little kid. Well, have you met his daughter? I have not met Uh, Bailey yet, but I've seen some pictures. Super cute little kid. Well, it helps keep him grounded. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Okay. So Trey Flowers is the biggest surprise. I don't want to say that anything's the, the biggest disappointment 
I will. But, <laughs> but if you had to say that something was a disappointment, what would it be? Maybe this is just recency bias because we just saw it, but big plays in the running game. Recency bias. Yes. Is that a thing or did you just make that up? Pretty sure it's a thing. Okay. Let's, let's wow. Let's pretend it's a thing. John Boyle teaching me something new today. Hey, you know, okay. Uh, okay. So recency bias would be plays in the run game. Big plays. Defense, I mean, we, defense yeah. allowing big yes, plays sorry, in the run game. Yes, sorry. Giving up the big yep. plays. We, we hear about... You know, Pete Carroll talks, and it's you know it's not an unusual thing for this team, but you know it all starts with stopping the run game, and this has over the years been a very good run defense. And you look at the numbers this year; they're not very good. Four point eight yards a carry. They're giving up a hundred and thirty a game, I believe. I don't have it right in front of me. That's one hundred and fourteen a game. So, but point being. Th- you watch certain plays in certain games, and they look really good. You know, we talked about Carryon Johnson for Detroit. He was averaging six point four yards a carry. They held him under three yards a carry. They held Todd Gurley, who we're going to see this week. They held him seventy seven. Yeah, seventy seven yards on twenty two rushes. Yep. They held David Johnson, I believe, is seventy one yards. But their numbers don't look good because you get the occasional. I, I did the math yesterday, and I should have brought this with me. They gave up. I want to say 75 yards on, on three, three, on three plays, sweeps. and then they gave up hardly anything on the other 13 carries. Yeah. So it's if they can just, you know, that's usually just a guy being out of place, a mental breakdown, and that's to me that's easier to fix than, oh, you're just getting gashed for six yards of carry because you're being overpowered at the line of scrimmage. That's not what we're seeing. So clean up some of the mental mistakes, some of the miscues, guys out of position, and they could be really good. But how much of that, and I think part of this just goes to what teams are running right now, and I I would say that from the sidelines, one of the things that was said by the coaching staff after uh, the Chargers scored on their opening drive was, guys, you just gave up 54 plays, 54 yards on two plays that never should have happened. They they should have been stopped for five yards, Mm -hmm. maybe. So they understand. But on those fly sweeps, look, Teams run it because it works. Yeah, it's hard because to defend. it's hard to defend. So I don't. I, I mean, part of that is, do you just have to see it enough times to be able to stop it? Is it really a discipline thing, or is it really that that is one of the hardest plays to defend, and you're going to have to give something up, and that's just the play that you give up? Sometimes, but to me, there's a difference, and I think some players would back this up. Of okay, they ran a nice fly sweep and got ten yards versus they got thirty. I mean, there's yes. there are well, ways and, to to kind of mitigate the the damage, and, and we have seen KJ step in there and and sniff some of those out yeah. and drop them for losses instead of gains. So I know that it's possible, but it is. I mean, look, that's a hard play to defend. There's a reason teams are doing it, and when you have the athletes to do it, it's. I mean, the Seahawks have done it some with some success as well. But yeah, it's you know if you can if they can eliminate that, not just fly sweeps, but just getting you know we, some of those like, big yeah the thirty four yard touchdown yeah. run was just a pretty simple toss that they blocked well and and got to the second level, and boom, he's in the end zone. So, you know, again, we've seen in spurts where this team's really hard to run against, and if they can do that in the second half, that's going to help the whole defense be a lot better. Well, and it's going to be very helpful this week against the Rams as we kind of transition to what this actual matchup looks like on Sunday. Todd Gurley, and we had this conversation. I'm not ready to go there. We can revisit this in another few weeks. I have heard people try to make the case for him to be MVP this year. I'm not sure that I'm going there yet. However, I will say that because of him, so many things work for the Rams. And last week, the Saints handed the Rams their first loss of the season. They did it by shutting down Todd Gurley and not allowing him to get any momentum and really not allowing him to get a whole lot of yards. It's what the Seahawks did the last time around. Where do you see the crux of this matchup, John? 
I mean, shoot. I, there's so many weapons on, on that Rams offense that you can point to that you want to slow down. I, you know, we talked about this with some of the players yesterday. Uh, you want to stop Gurley, but to me it's in the passing game. It's those plays we saw turn into the short passes turn into big gains, whether it was just because a guy had a ton of space or because of a missed tackle. Goff is going to complete some passes. They're going to get some yards. They're going to score some points. But you can't have every eight-yard dump-off turn into 15, 20-yard explosive plays. So that's, to me, the first thing when I think of what the Seahawks need to do defensively. Offensively, they just need to be really good and run the ball like they did last time. You need to score points because the Rams are going to get some points. They're gonna. This is not going to be a 10-6 to 6 game. If the Seahawks want to win this game, that, that we're going to have to see the offense really do a lot of what it did the last time around. They ran the ball well. They hit some big explosive passing plays. If not for a couple penalties that hurt them on that last drive, we're probably talking about a big Seahawks win. So, you know, it's uh, there's a lot that has to go right to be a team as good as the Rams, especially in their house. But that's, to me, what I want to see is just the Seahawks offense function overall really well and the defense clean up some of those big plays. The last time these teams met, Chris Carson rushed for 116 yards. Mike Davis rushed for 68 yards. And the Seahawks did win the battle on the ground, 190 rushing yards to 155 from the Rams. You know, the Saints, that was their game plan. Stop the run, make them go deep, and and just allow what's going to happen to happen because you've got more room for error and mistakes if you're going to put the ball in the air, particularly against the Seahawks defense. I don't know that you are going to see the rushing numbers look like that this week. I wouldn't be surprised if those were flipped with Mike Davis carrying the load. I wouldn't be surprised if Chris Carson's name is not on the list. I don't know where we're at with that, but given what's transpired in the last couple of weeks, I think those numbers are really important. I don't know where they come from. Yeah. I mean, that's, we don't, there's some questions with injuries, but it's so much of what the Seahawks did in that game was the way they played up front. We heard the offensive linemen, they were, they were obviously disappointed to lose that game, but they were really excited about the way they played. And this is a Rams defensive front that has given the Seahawks fits over the years. So to go out and play the way they did, was really important, and that's something you can build off, you know, even with some injuries at running back, and, you know, we'll see what happens with DJ Fluker and his calf injury, but they feel like, you know, they can move the line of scrimmage, and then once you're doing that, you would hope that any of your running backs can get yards for you. Well, and I do think that this is where the Seahawks have the biggest advantage in the game. It's the battle up front between the offensive line and the Rams' defense. The Which kind of sounds crazy. It does. It does. <laughs> but then look at the personnel and look at how the Rams play defense. You don't have power guys anymore. You've got a lot of finesse guys. You've got guys that want to come off the edge, which is great. But you don't have guys that just want to go head-to-head with you in the trenches. And DJ Fluker said it after the last game. You could tell that they didn't want any part of that offensive line by the time they got into the fourth quarter. You don't have thumpers necessarily in the middle of the field you've got guys that are going to be a little bit more um uh, they're going to flow a little bit more to the ball they they're just it's just a different style of defense that I think the Seahawks can exploit yeah and that's why I think you know a big part of this game and why the Seahawks were successful and nearly pulled off one last time you need to you need to stay within striking distance this entire game because what that defensive line and that Rams defense can do very well is tee off on you. Aaron Donald's got 10 sacks in six games, yes. and that's not a guy who rushes off the edge. So that's where, you know, I think you're right. If Seahawks can play that physical running game, that's how you stay in the game. But you also, you know, you can't get down early and start chasing the score where you're 
in obvious passing situations because, and not just the score, but also the down and distance. You can't have the, yes, you cannot get behind schedule. Y- on yeah, you can't distance. have a first down run go minus three. You can't false start. Can't have a hold because if they know you're throwing the ball, they're going to pile up some sacks. This Rams team does give up yards on defense. The last week against the Saints, 483 yards, 35 points given up. So staying within striking distance seems to be a reasonable thing. Their secondary has not been performing up to what you might have thought at yeah, the beginning of the year. for the names they brought in. I mean, exactly. Tlaib's been hurt. Peters, he says he's not hurt, but he's been playing kind of banged up. And he hasn't had an interception since week you know, one. He was very harsh on himself after the game. Yeah. Had, had some strong criticism for his own play. So, yeah, I, I think there's a lot of opportunities for the Seahawks offense. Going back to the running back situation, Chris Carson has been dealing with some soft tissue injury. We don't know what his status is going to be. I think it's probably going to be a game day decision and they'll work them out and they'll figure out what happens on that one. To me, it felt like on the sidelines of the game Sunday against the Chargers, when you start with Chris Carson and you feel that physicality, not having him in the second half completely changes things. Even though we know that Mike Davis has rushed for over 100 yards in games this year, and we know that he can be a really effective back. If Chris Carson can't go, and Mike Davis starts. Does that kind of help set a different benchmark for the game? I think it can for the runner, especially. It it's just different when you you know whether Carson plays or not. He's probably not going to practice a ton, so Mike Davis and probably Rashad Penny will get a lot more reps. That helps you get into the flow of things, and then just we hear it all the time about running backs that they need the touches, they need to kind of get going and. It can be hard when all week you think you're the change of pace back who's going to get, you know, every third series, every fourth series, and all of a sudden, boom, you're the guy. Whereas I think if he starts the game off and can get going, like we saw in Arizona, that, you know, he can be really effective. Yeah. And I don't, I mean, I, I love the complementary styles that those two have. And I'm not trying to take anything away from Mike Davis. No, but He's they're a different. Very good they player. are. They're, it's different. And, and it's, it's the difference in missing somebody versus not having somebody to begin with. You know, you, you're trying to overcome something exactly. versus now I feel like I'm missing a piece that started the game. So I think that'll be interesting. Here's one other. When you mentioned practice, here's the other person that I thought of. Um, Delano Hill. Yeah, he Got played some well. significant playing time. He played well. I think that he is, whether he's heard, I think fans have been a little critical of him up to that point. And Pete said practice time. Yeah. It's been a huge thing for him. Yeah, Bradley McDougald, he he started last week, but he didn't he practiced part of one practice all week. So as Delano Hill got all the first team reps, he prepared as if he was starting the game. So it that makes a huge difference for players. And now, again, just like Chris Carson, we don't know the status of McDougald heading into this game, but either way, Delano's gonna get pretty much the full week probably at at that spot, and he's gonna now have a half of playing every snap at strong safety, which he hadn't done before. So, you know, you obviously want Bradley McDougald out there. He's playing incredibly well this year, but it's going to be a good chance for Delano Hill if he does play to just kind of build on what he did last week and show why the Seahawks liked him so much in the third round of last year's or last year's draft, right? 2017? Yes. They all blend year. together now. Golly. And, it's, and it's, we just sound old when we say and that. And it's interesting. Last week was the first <laughs> time we really saw that all those guys yeah. that were drafted just boom, 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 those third, fourth round picks of, you know, Shaquille and Delano and Tedrick, they were all out there together for the first time. And in you the, know what? Game. 
they looked pretty darn good. Yeah, y- you can see what the they saw. Yep, exactly. Well, that secondary is certainly going to be tested by Jared Goff this week. And I think the team as a whole does have a little bit of revenge on their mind, given the way that the game ended at CenturyLink last month. So we will see how things play out in La La Land this week. I don't like saying that. I don't know why I just said that. I don't know. I, you know. We'll scratch that one. Mm-hmm. We'll see how things play out this week. <laughs> Now we won't because it's funny and awkward, so we should probably leave it in. If only you could see the the eye rolling from John Boyle right now. But you know what? You can't. All you can hear is him say goodbye. Goodbye, everyone. All right. We'll see you next week on a brand new edition of the Seahawks Insiders podcast.